0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 87, Examples of Managing Our Emotions. Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to listen. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And And have have harmony harmony in the home. So last week, you guys wanted to hear about what to do when we're managing our kids' big emotions. And I hope I normalized it for you as much as humanly possible that all children, 0 to 18 and above... If they're living in your four walls, they're gonna have human emotions. That's part of the human experience and nothing has gone wrong. That doesn't mean you're doing a bad job as a parent. You only get to control your side of the street and the more you can normalize it for your kids, the more they will feel comfortable coming to you for all the things because there's not a lot of judgment, there's not a lot of shame. It's like, yes, you can feel all the feelings and I got you, we're in this together versus trying to talk them out of how they're feeling. The rational conversations can happen, but they don't happen during the hot water, during the moments when they're intoxicated on emotions, or they're in the turbulence, or they're in the fiery building, or they are you just have to think of it like them being in the middle of a hurricane, and you're not going to sit there and be like, listen, if we would have watched the weather a a little bit earlier, we would have known about this hurricane, and we could have prepared... Like, no, we're gonna get them out of the storm and then once they're out of the storm, then we can talk rationally to them. And this takes a lot of practice and this is a journey and not a destination. This is not like one day you arrive and your kids know how to manage all their emotions. Just like as adults, We are constantly learning strategies, positive and negative ways to manage our emotions. We're like, oh, that worked. Oh, that didn't work. Oh, that made it worse. Oh, that made it better. Okay, I'm gonna do a combination of both. Oh, I didn't do it that time. Okay, I'm gonna try something, that didn't work, try it again. Try something, that didn't work, try it again. Just like we teach our kids reading, writing, math, social studies, science. Grady said, okay, so I go to school for six hours a day, five days a week, that's 30 hours of learning. So think about it, 30 hours of learning, 120 hours a month of how many hours he's in school learning about reading, writing, math. So we're spending a lot of time going over the basics of reading, writing, and math. The same thing works with emotional literacy. We have to teach the basics. We have to give them lots of practice. They have lots of practice within our literacy laboratory, meaning our home, using the four steps. Now, some people will say, well, when they're really, really hot or they're really intoxicated or they're really in the red zone, if I go to talk to them, it makes it worse. That is because they are too hot. They're too hot to the touch. So then you might say something like, Do you want help calming down or do you want to calm down by yourself? Or you could say, I'm going to make a boundary right now if they're older and I'm going to exit stage left and we'll talk about this when you calm down. But I'm here, you're not in trouble, everything's good, we're cool, like you're having a big moment, nothing's gone wrong, I'm just going to make a boundary right now because this is not okay for me. I'm gonna give you a couple examples of using these steps and what it looks like with my own kids who have tantrums and I have tantrums and sometimes David has tantrums. We all just have different types of ways of feeling our emotions and that's okay. So I started talking a little bit about how Grady was playing Mario Odyssey and he's having, it's called rage quit where you get so angry that you throw the remote and you rage quit. That's like what the YouTubers do on YouTube. He hasn't thrown the remote yet. There would be a consequence for that if he did, but it hasn't happened yet. So he's in the middle of a moment. He's upset at Bowser. And I'm just sitting there like watching him play the game, loving life. And all of a sudden, all these emotions come stirring up. In my head, I'm thinking, this is just a game. He's overreacting. This is ridiculous. He used to have fun doing this. If he's not having fun, this isn't fun for me. All these thoughts, okay? So just because we think it doesn't mean we have to say it. So he's flipping out because he lost a game, and he's screaming, and he flails his body in the bed. I detached because all those thoughts were coming in my mind. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. So we have to go straight to the emotion. Like, whoa, you're feeling some frustration there, bro you know, talking in 10-year-old language. He's like, yeah, the Bowser. And And he's he's just like getting it out, getting it out. I'm like, that's pretty frustrating. I used to be like that with Mario and Donkey Kong. He's like, what's Donkey Kong? Sometimes when you kind of talk them through it as they're like in the rage, not change the subject, but just like he kind of like snapped out of it with Donkey Kong. So I could see him coming out of the fiery building when I started talking about Donkey Kong. And I just said, do you want to keep playing this or do you is this not fun for you anymore? Kind of like, this isn't going to continue. And he's like, no, I can keep going. I can keep going. I'm like, this isn't really working for me just sitting here. I'm just eating my Pringles and just loving life. And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. So no big deal. So afterwards, I said, listen, Linda, because then he did it the next night. Same conversation. We're on strike two of the rage quitting and that's not really working for me because I'm just sitting there eating my Pringles trying to relax because he plays Mario from 7.30 to 7.45. And then I said, how about we do this? How about you can play from 7.30 to 7.45. If there's no rage quitting, then I'll give you extra five minutes. But if not, we're just going to put the game up. He's like, that's a win-win. So you're always like on their side, okay? Again, these are little examples, but before I would lecture him during the hot moments, I would tell him all the reasons why he shouldn't be upset, but that doesn't really help in that moment. Just like if I call you and I've had a bad day and you tell me I'm overreacting and I need to relax, I probably know that that's true, but in that moment, I can't stop overreacting and I can't relax. So telling someone to relax when they're upset, if it worked, I'd say, keep doing it. It just doesn't seem to work. That's an example with Grady. So example with Lily was her biggest fear in life, I think, is running late to something. If we have to be someplace at six o'clock and it's a 10 minute drive, she wants to leave mm, 5.15, 5.30 and she has to be there at six o'clock. So we've kind of figured out our Goldilocks time where I think it's too early and she thinks it's too late, but it works for both of us. We kind of meet in the middle. So if she wants to leave at 5.15 and I want to leave at 5.30, 5.35, then we might settle in the middle at 5.27. Just kind of playing it, making it fun. So she needed to be someplace at 5.45. It was a five-minute drive. We said, we'll leave at 5.30 just to be safe. No big deal. Well, she gets a text from one of her teammates. It was like 5.25. She had to be there at 5.30 because they had to set up nets, and she didn't know that they had to be there that early to set up nets. She thought they had to be there just a little bit early. Well, you can imagine the frantic energy of... It's literally one of her biggest fears. She comes in my room. I'm just living my best life because I had five more minutes. I don't even know what I was doing, but I was just chilling like Bob Dylan. And she comes in and like, we have to leave right now. Like her hair was on fire. I'm like, oh, you seem a little over. So I detached because I'm like thinking to myself, these are all my thoughts just because I think it doesn't mean I say it. I detach. My child's having a hard time, not giving me a hard time. She's having a big emotion. What's the emotion? What's the emotion? I'm always asking, what's the emotion? What's the emotion? What's the emotion? I said, you really seem scared that you're going to get in trouble from your coach. She's like, yes, yeah, and she's just literally intoxicated on emotion. So there's no like talking sense into her right now, but I'm not going to join the reindeer games, even though I want to. Listen, you're reacting. Don't come in here. Guns a blazing like that. La, 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 la. I want to go back at her, but I know that that's just going to be gas on the fire. So I have to detach. I have to get her out of the burning building before I can talk rationally to her because she is now intoxicated on emotion. There is no talking with her. So I go straight to the fear that I'm seeing in her eyes and I'm thinking, what is going on? And I labeled her emotion. I said, you seem scared that you're going to get in trouble from your coach. This is all happening rapid fire. So when you're able to detach, then you're kind of able to think clearly. I didn't offer any strategies to calm down or any support other than like, Um, I don't really know what to say right now. So I said, getting in trouble never feels fun, does it? she's like, yeah, can we just go? Can we just go? So we get in the car and she's starting to sober up. But she's the type that you don't really want to engage when she's like that. She said, I'm sorry. I'm just really nervous about being in trouble. I'm like, I get it, bro. I get it. We do that all the time. It's a little hard for me to drive right now, though. And she's like, why? And I go, because my head has been chopped off. You chopped off my head by screaming your head off at me. She's like, I know. I don't know what happened. I just got so nervous. I got the text from my friend, and I was just like freaked out. I'm like, I get that. I've overreacted before, too. She's like, sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I'm like, I get it, bro. It's like, I don't need to like pile on. She's already sorry. This is becoming more an event, not a pattern. Yes, she gets nervous about running late, but this was like code red. I think I told you last week or a couple weeks ago how I was with a friend and she's not doing well with her illnesses and being around her was really, really tough. Not because I don't want to be around her, but it just reminds me of how sick she really is, so to speak. And it kind of brought the illness to the forefront. Like I know because we talk on Boxer and on text and we see each other probably once a month. So we hadn't seen each other in a while. And so being with her reminded me of how she's not doing well with her illness. And so I remember getting home and more quiet than I usually am. And David says, his cat got your tongue? And I said, it's just hard being around her because it just reminds me of how sick she really is. And it just makes me feel so sad for her and her family that she has to go through this. And he could have said, yeah, you should spend more time with her. You should call her more. You should text her more. Or she's doing a lot better. The test came back good. She just said, yeah, I bet. And sometimes we don't want to always have to fix it. I posted a quote because when we see our kids upset or hurting or frustrated, we want to make the feeling go away. So we want to fix it, stop it, give advice, make it all go away. And I saw this quote. And I posted it. It's by Alexander James. He said, some years back, my wife and I got into the habit of asking each other, do you want comfort or solutions when the other one was having a bad time? The one sentence can save us from an argument nine out of 10 times. Because a lot of times our kids just want to vent about someone on their team or about a teacher, or sometimes they want to vent about us. And what if we just listen to it and be like, I hear you that must be tough to have a mom like me or a dad like him or a teacher like that or a brother like that or a sister like that or a dog like that. That must be tough. I wonder what that's like. Like open up to it. Like tell me more about that versus defensiveness, pulling back on the tug of war. Because defensiveness just puts up the wall and it stops the conversation. And then it's this giant tug of war. But when you drop the rope and you open up to it, like, tell me more, because I know you love me. So I take your opinion with a huge grain of salt. So then when you're offering your opinion or your feedback, then they're more open to it and they're gonna take it with a bigger grain of salt. So it's like, whatever you want to see in them, you model and embody it, and then they do it to you back. It's pretty cool. Because then they're more open to it. But like, you don't get me. You don't understand me. You're always on my back. You're always nagging. Because think about how you want to live in this life. You want people to love you for who you are. You don't want a lot of judgment. You don't want a lot of shame. You want people to get you. So when you can be that person in your child's life that gets them and gets their emotions, then everything's not taken so personally. And then they're not tiptoeing around you and hiding their feelings or hiding what's going on at school because they don't want you to freak out. So you kind of take their perspective and be like, oh, I know what that feeling is. I know what that emotion is. I've felt that before. I felt that 150 times before. And then they kind of look at you like, really, I'm not a weirdo. I'm not crazy. Okay. I do the same stuff with David, the same steps work with him. We were ordering groceries and he's working from home now. So he's home a lot more, obviously, than before. And so he's very involved with the grocery ordering. We order groceries that have been delivered on Friday. And so he goes over with a fine tooth comb of what's, I just usually like wing it like, oh, I think that's on sale. Let's get some more soap. Let's get some more toothpaste. So he's walking around like he's an inventory manager at the gas station because he doesn't like a lot of stuff stuff stresses him out. He's a minimalist on top of a minimalist and top of a minimalist. I would say if you were describing me in a hundred words, minimalist is not a word that you would use to describe me, but I'm trying because it is an easier life. So I see his life and I see how easy it is. And I'm like, wow, because it's so minimalistic in a good way. So he's walking around the house like he's a gas station attendant filling up his inventory for his next order at the gas station. And then he's walking around. I'm like, oh, geez. And I'm sitting in my office in my closet and he's like, oh, I see that coast is on here and we seem to have plenty of coast. Coast meaning the soap. I want to say, doesn't matter, bro. For him, it's about the stuff. If we already have six bars, why do we need three more? And he goes in there and he starts counting. And I'm like, breathe through it, breathe through it, breathe through it. I think all the thoughts, I'm like, he's being critical. Why can't he just go with the flow? I'm not a child. Leave me alone. I just want to get work done. It's 397. dollars Just order the soap. It doesn't matter. It's on sale. And so I had to detach, detach my ego, detach the little girl in me because the little girl in me has daddy issues. My daddy issues are that I don't want to disappoint anybody. I never want to disappoint my dad. And so guess what? I grow up and I step into emotional childhood with David and I never want to disappoint him. But guess what? Even though when I disappointed my dad, he still loves me and still loved me back in the day. And when I disappoint David, guess what? He still loves me and still loved me. It's okay to disappoint people. But I step into emotional childhood and the little girl is like wanting to please her dad who I got lots of affirmations from my dad. So it's not like he didn't give it to me. He gave it to me and I wanted more of it. So I went through half my marriage, never wanted to disappoint David well, that left me pretty miserable and I was disappointing myself. And I would just like grin and bear it or I would sulk or I'd put up a stone wall or I'd start to pout. From David's perspective, because he's minimalist, he doesn't understand why we need that much soap. So he's starting to feel a little overwhelmed and I'm kind of being jokey and kind of being sarcastic because that's how we roll. I'm like, oh yeah, too much soap. That's a really big problem. He's like, no, I'm just saying, you know, purity have six bars. And actually I see two more back here. And I'm like, take a deep breath, take a deep breath. Stay on the breath, stay on the breath, stay on the breath. He doesn't like clutter. I understand, no big deal. And I started joking around. I'm like, well, I'm pretty stinky because I've been running a lot. So I probably need that extra soap. And he's like, yeah, I think if there's a soap shortage, people can come to our house. Something that would have turned into a huge argument before, because I would have been like, listen, why don't you appreciate that I even keep track of what we need and what we don't need? And I wanted to say all that. I didn't say any of that. No need to. And then it was like over before it started. I still got my point across. He still got his point across. And we just agreed to disagree. And we'll get the soap later. It doesn't really matter. But when you detach the ego and you detach the little girl and you detach the emotional childhood, you can actually catch yourself mid-emotional childhood. I catch myself in emotional childhood all the time. I got examples after examples after examples. The other day, Grady was playing with an Orbeez ball. And if you don't know what Orbeez are, there's these little gel-filled balls and he's playing with his Orbeez ball and it's his ball and inside is all these Orbeez. There's thousands inside the ball. Well, it's like nine o'clock and he's like embedded bed at 8.30 usually. And he comes out and he's like, Daddy, I think I need a paper plate. He's like, what for, bud? He's like, uh, I don't really want to tell you. He goes in there. When I tell you there was a thousand Orbeez in his room, so then David's like, can I have your help for a minute? I'm like, sure. I go in there. There are Orbeez on top of Orbeez. they're underneath his bed, they're in his sheets, they're in his stuffed animals, they're in his pillowcases. They are all underneath his bunk bed, thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And that's all David keeps saying. There are thousands of Orbeez in here. Oh my goodness, what are we gonna do? So we're all picking them up, we're all picking them up. And I could just tell David was just dying inside because, again, he doesn't like clutter, he doesn't like stuff. And this is like his worst nightmare and the time. He had worked all day, took Grady to baseball. We're all tired and it was like, oh my goodness. And we're all just trying to pick them all up, but they're so slippery we can't pick them up. And so then Grady's making jokes. He's like, oh, this is, I broke the Orbeez on purpose, Daddy, so I could stay up later. Ha ha ha, like trying to lighten the mood. It's a little tense. Nobody says anything. And I'm like doing behind David's back, I'm doing the sign to Grady, like, knock it off. Like when you put your finger to your throat and you slide it across, like stop, stop, abort the mission, abort the mission. So then he pulls out the dry vac and I'm like, oh dear. Okay. I guess we're doing this now. Like I'm thinking, why can't we just deal with this this weekend? So Maggie starts freaking out because she is so scared of vacuums. So Grady and I bring Maggie into our room. We're like trying to distract her, play and fetch in the house, which we never do, but she can finally run because she's on carpet. She has some traction. And so David's in the other room, like, Grady, we might want to show a little remorse. Like, you might want to take a little more responsibility. Like, we might want to chill out with the jokes. The jokes are funny. And I know you're trying to lighten the mood, but your timing is way off. He's like, oh, I didn't think about that. So we're playing with Maggie, playing with Maggie. And then David gets it all fixed up. And then Grady goes, sorry, sorry, dad. I didn't mean to do it. And then David's like, it's okay, buddy. That happens. And so later I'm like, David, you were so patient in there, bro. How'd you do that? He's like, I was dying inside. So it's okay to be dying inside, but you don't always have to do what you're thinking in your head. Just like if a police officer pulled you over and you weren't speeding and they pull you over speeding and give you a $200 ticket, you're probably going to be upset. You're probably going to be angry. You're probably going to think it's not fair, but you're not going to lose your mind on the police officer because you'll be like, bro, this is not appropriate. So if these examples are helping you, let me know, because I have probably 47 more of them. Here's another one with Grady. We usually go to church as a family on Sundays, and then after church, Lily and I will go meet my mom for lunch with my sister and her daughter. So it's like five girls. Okay. It's like our time to spend time with our mom one-on-one and she gets time with the grandkids and David and Grady, like they're always invited, but they never want to go. So it's kind of like a girl's thing. We go to the same place. We have so much fun. We catch up on the week. It's kind of like our thing. And then the guys, like they'll go hit golf balls or go hit the baseballs or go to lunch or go get a haircut. They'll go to Home Depot and just get like some mulch because that's what they like to do. So one day David was going to a golf tournament in Tampa, which is about a four-hour drive away from a friend who lost his brother in a tragic accident many years ago. So they have a golf tournament in his honor every year. And David always goes to it. It's one of his best friend's brothers that this happened to. So he's after church heading to the golf tournament. They do it on a Monday when the golf course is closed. So he's leaving on Sunday because it's such a long drive. He comes back Monday night. So it's after church and David is leaving after church to go to Tampa. And so Grady's with us. When people have strengths, it can also act as their weakness. So one of the great things about Grady is that he's so good with the flow. I would say how that works against him is we forget how go with the flow he is. So when he puts up a stink for something, we kind of like, oh, wait, what? I forgot that you would care about something like that. And so because he doesn't have a phone, sometimes he gets left out of the fold of stuff, of updates, of things we're doing because David, Lily, and I are in a group text and he's never on there. So I always assume David tells him, David always assumes I tell him, and then Lily probably assumes we told him, and then I assume, you know, Lily or David told Grady. So he didn't know that after church, he was coming with us to brunch. And again, didn't think it's going to be a big deal. Well. He gets in my car and pretty much loses his mind. He's bawling. You would have thought I'd set his hair on fire. So I'm like thinking, what I'm thinking is not what I'm saying. So I have to detach. My kid's having a hard time, not giving me a hard time. He's having a big emotion. I'm like, what's up, buddy? Oh, I didn't know about Great Eats. That's where we always go. It's the awesome, awesome restaurant. If you're in the area. I didn't know about great eats and nobody tells me anything and I don't want to go and I don't want to go. I'm like, okay, 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 okay. okay. Let's just take a break. Okay. I said, are you feeling nervous? And he's like, no, I'm not feeling nervous. And I'm like, are you feeling surprised? He's like, yeah, nobody told me. I'm like, you know what, bud? That's kind of my fault. You know, I didn't even tell you what was going on. I can see why you're surprised. I'm like, let's take a breath. And I can't ask him to make soup. So I'm like, do you want to talk about this now or in a couple minutes? He's like, I just don't want to go. I'm like, I know, but we're heading that way. So I got to kind of figure out plan B if you're not going to go. I'm thinking my mom can't watch him because my mom's going to brunch. Dave's going to Tampa. So I'm like, all right, let's come from a place of yes. Let's problem solve. Let's take a deep breath through our nose, out through our mouth, because we can't problem solve when we're in this red zone. And Lily's giving me these big eyes like, what is happening? And she's like, Grady, would you rather not go at all and stay home alone? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, that's a good idea, but I don't know about staying home alone because you're only 10. And I was like, I think daddy's going home first to pack a little bit, so maybe daddy can just take his time packing and you can hang out with daddy until we get home. And so detaching and kind of like coming from their area and like normalizing how they're feeling is the greatest way to build connection. And when you have connection, you have cooperation. And this happens day in and day out. Just think about how you want to be responded to when you're upset about something. Our kids are the same way. And we don't understand why they're upset because the reasons are so small, but they're so small. So when you give them the wrong sippy cup color, you think that's small, but in their world, it's like you got the wrong order and you've been waiting for something in the mail to come from China. So think about when you have these emotions and what makes you feel those emotions, the circumstances and your thoughts that you're having about those, then you can kind of deduce it down to being on their level. So when I was teaching first grade, they used to get so upset when they would get cut in line. That's the same way that we feel when we get cut off on the highway. So when they're feeling frustrated and overwhelmed with their homework, You felt frustrated before when you can't figure out your tech issues or if you have too many emails or your boss just piled a lot of work on your shoulders. Sometimes your kids will feel lonely because their friends aren't there to sit with them at lunch. Well, you know how that feels. If you've ever been to like a barbecue or a dinner party and you don't know anybody at the party, it's like a business event and you don't know anybody there. So whenever you see your child upset, which is normal, which is going to happen, which is part of the human experience, instead of making it stop, open up to it and say, tell me more, tell me more you seem like this. Because what happens over time is, especially when you do this work when they're real little, it doesn't go from zero to 10 so fast because they're able to stop it and be like, I'm feeling really frustrated. I feel like I'm going to explode because they're able to stop it in the middle because we've taught them about it. Now, they say it takes 10,000 hours to master a skill. Mastering your emotions, I think, is something that we're always working on, but I want you to give yourself grace and compassion and empathy and have that same grace and compassion and empathy for your kids when they're having a basic human emotion because the more you can normalize it for them, the more you can make it okay to have those emotions. Now the behavior we're gonna talk about, but the emotion, you always wanna go straight to the emotion. You detach, you label the emotion you see, you normalize that emotion, and then you offer support. And sometimes offering them support happens during the calm waters. What are you teaching them about what to do with their messy feelings and their tricky emotions during the calm waters? What are you modeling and embodying? What do you do when someone cuts you off? What do you do when you order something from Outback and they bring you the entire wrong meal and they make you eat it, which never happens? But what do you do when you're disappointed? What do you do when you're frustrated? What do you do when you're angry? What do you do when you're annoyed? What do you do when you're overwhelmed? What do you need in those moments? What do you need when you're overwhelmed? What do you need when you're frustrated? What do you need when you're sad? What do you need when you're angry? What do you need from your spouse, from your friend, from your sister, from your brother, from your greedy, greedy grandpappy? That person you go to, why do you go to that person? What do they offer you? Usually they offer you validation. They offer you acceptance. They offer you love. They offer calmness. They can kind of like rationalize with you, like you're talking crazy and that's okay. We all talk crazy. Which human do you go to when you're upset? And why do you go to that human? The reason why you go to that human is because you feel safe, you feel loved, you feel nurtured, you feel heard, you feel understood, you feel validated. So we can be that same human for our kids to make them feel valued, make them feel loved, make them feel heard, make them feel understood, not make them feel judged. Because when you are judged, you shut down. When our kids are judged, they shut down. So we have to be comfortable seeing our kids uncomfortable and not always having to make it okay making the emotions okay, connecting with them, being that person, being that human, being that soft place to fall and that rock at the same time. Think about what you need when you're having tricky emotions. Your tricky emotions are in proportion to your age. They're in proportion for your stage. They're in proportion from your gender. They're in proportion from your temperament. Just like what our kids are going through is in proportion for their age, is in proportion for their stage, their gender, their temperament. A two-year-old gets upset because you gave the wrong sippy cup color. That doesn't happen for the rest of their life, but you know what disappointment feels like. So remember, they're very, very little with big emotions and have no strategies. We have positive or negative strategies. Imagine not having any of those. That's how our kids are going through life. So it's our job to show up and teach them just like we teach them math. Grady spends five hours a week practicing math, then at home a little bit longer. In school, an hour a day, five days a week he's doing math, teaching a math strategy. Oh, that one didn't work. Oh, I missed that one. Let's try that one again. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try that one. Oh, that strategy really works. Oh, that worked on that problem, not on that problem. So you're always mixing and match, mixing and mingle, but there's so much practice and then he gets home and he practices some more. So why can't we give our kids the same amount of practice when it comes to their emotions? Because that's always going to be in the driver's seat. So when you start to see their emotions as something that we teach in school, and we teach, and we practice, and we do homework, and then we mess up, and we get an 88, and then we get a 78, and then we get a 68. Oh, we got to try more. We got to get a tutor. We got to get, there's nothing gone wrong. There's nothing wrong with your child. There's nothing wrong with you. They just need more help. They need more strategies. They need to know that it's okay. They need to feel seen, heard, loved, valued, honored, and not judged, just like you do when you're upset. So remember that always go straight to the emotion. Detach the ego, detach the fear, detach the little girl inside of you and the little boy inside of you that is so afraid of not being good enough because you were hand chosen to be the parent for this child or the caregiver. So you can show up with that pack leader energy and it's the most empowering work you'll ever do versus I'm not good enough, I'm not valued, I'm not worthy. Your kids need a strong assertive pack leader energy so they know that they're safe, they know that they're loved, they know that they're valued and then they're gonna go out into the world and they're gonna repeat those relationships positive or negative, they're gonna repeat those relationships and a little bit in between. They're just trying to be a human and being a human is hard. Being two is hard, being 42 is hard. It's all hard, but we can do hard things. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks, or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting bootcamp where we take all of this to the next level And we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com. And if you really want to fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening. I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.